electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to America. Other people want to make friends? Just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate, teach, explain days like today. I want you to call me at 1-800-743-CBC. Please tweet me at Jim Kramer. I want you to get used to days like today, days where the Dow plunges up 1,063 points, S&P plummets 3.56%, and yes, the NASDAQ goes down almost 5%, 4.99. See, what's happening right now is the market is repricing stocks, your stocks, on the fly, with Wall Street deciding that all stocks are worth less every time a thing called the 10-year Treasury, that's what the Treasury borrows at, on a 10-year basis, ticks down in price and up in yield. Yep, I mean it every time. And that's what happens in this stage of runaway inflation. Frankly, it's the only touchstone to trust, even as it smells real bad and you wish it were not happening. 3.5-year high on the 10-year does that. Now, it's been so long since we had a market like this that I think many investors mistakenly believe that the Fed is in charge of all interest rates. It's just not true. Long-term rates are controlled by investors around the world, and they clearly believe you can't own U.S. bonds here because they keep going down in price. These guys are losing fortunes owning U.S. treasuries because of inflation. So they wanted Jay Powell to take a more aggressive approach to taming down inflation. In other words, they want the Fed to engineer a recession. They wanted to hear that 75 was on the table. They wanted to hear that he might raise interest rates a full point. They want a recession, and it's not what they got. Now, the stock market has always been closely related to the bond market. They're practically joined at the hip, except the bond market is much bigger and more, much more powerful than stocks. If bond yields are going up, that's because investors are afraid of inflation and don't believe the Fed can get it under control with a series of meager 50 basis point double rate hikes. They expect 75 basis points, triple rate hikes, an idea that Powell took off the table yesterday. But when you look at the action long-term treasuries, it's clear these bond sellers don't believe he can keep it off the table. I've got a lot of confidence in J. Powell and what he's doing. The bond market has no confidence in J. Powell and what he's doing. 
But let's step back for a second and, and, and be curious about stocks, not bonds, right? Now, as my old friend and mentor, David Darst, who used to come on the network a lot, taught me when we were at Goldman Sachs together, the key to stock picking, actually the key to making money, particularly and we had a lot of bad days together, it was a tough time in the 80s, is to be curious. Now, you've probably never heard that before. It's to be curious. But curiosity helps you a great deal when you're trying to make money because it forces you to answer certain questions. First, is every company really worth less today than it was yesterday, which is what the stock market is saying? The answer is no. If you take your cue only from the bond market, we're headed for a high inflation world where the Fed has to raise interest rates aggressively. That means you should buy stocks that do well. Say you believe that, that do well in a high inflation slowdown. The Jimmy Carter scenario. Think the oils, like the ones we have on later. Think Pioneer Natural Resources, with its huge base plus variable dividend. Same goes for Kotara, Diamondback Energy, Devon, as I talked about on today's conference call for CNBC, because you know I love the oils. That's my CNBC Investing Club mantra. I love the oils. Second, will the Russian invasion of Ukraine or China's rolling lockdowns last forever? Of course not. Yet right now, stocks reflect a never-ending war and a never-ending lockdown. Even if China doesn't do anything differently, we know from experience that these lockdowns end after a few months at most. Once China goes back to normal, and it will, you could see insane rallies in stocks like Nike and Starbucks. By the way, Starbucks is paying you to wait with a 2.5% yield, and Howard's running it again. As for Nike, the worldwide sales are terrific without China. But nobody wants to own this stock without the substantial Chinese business. Sooner or later, though, the lockdowns will end, and Nike's Chinese sales will rebound. Might happen even faster if the Communist Party comes to its senses, changes its mind, and embraces the Pfizer, Moderna, or, or well, Pfizer, by the way, is a BioNTech, which they have. They're just choosing not to use. Speaking of changing minds, we know that Putin can't come up with something that he can spin as a victory in Ukraine. Uh, he can't keep his job, and he might not even keep his life. He's got to find something to say. He'll keep sending troops into Ukraine, even if it's clear that he can't win, because pulling out makes him look weak, and that's a death sentence for a dictator. But there are real-world constraints here. Sooner or later, the war will end, either with an assassination or with one side running out of soldiers or hardware. Right now, the war seems endless, but a curious person would never accept that verdict. Third, a curious person would question whether our current bout of inflation is really as deeply entrenched as the bears say. In the last week, I've heard of peaks in grains, steel, aluminum, copper, used cars, palm oil, soy, freight, and storage. That sounds like a trend to me. When only oil and natural gas continue to hit new highs, maybe this inflation is easier to beat than most people expect. Fourth, if you're curious, you have to wonder if earnings still matter because the broader market's behaving like they don't. But let's take the case of Advanced Micro, AMD. It recently closed on a massive acquisition, Xilinx. When AMD bought the chipmaker, we thought it was generating high single-digit growth. They weren't allowed to talk because of the deal. It turns out that Xilinx is growing at 20%, not high single-digit. That was what's called a surprise. Yet AMD stock has come way, way down from its highs. You're getting this Xilinx news for free. When you see something that, rev- that revelatory and you know it's immediately additive to earnings, how can you not think the stock's a buy? If you're selling it, I know why you're selling it. You're selling because everyone is selling everything not because everyone is selling AMD. Then there's Facebook, now meta platforms. 
When things get really negative and you hear that Facebook isn't hiring or slowing its hiring, you presume, Wall Street presumes the company's in trouble. But when you're running Facebook, you can choose among the best engineers in the world, senior engineers. At this point, they're available. Why bother hiring junior ones? We know there are engineers being laid off all over the place. Mark Zuckerberg can take his pick. That's why I'd be a buyer Facebook here, not a seller. And I said so on our CNBC Investing Club call that was done at noon that you must listen to. If you're curious, by the way, you recognize this is one of those stocks that does get cheaper as it goes lower because their earning power is tremendous. Now, I know the averages are trading like everything's overvalued. But remember, for every negative, there's a company that's profiting from it. Right now, the big worry is inflation. So what's the most in part What's the most inflationary part of inflation? Natural gas. Who makes the most money off natural gas? Coterra Energy, arguably Enbridge for pipelines, and I like Semper, a utility with a major natural gas transportation business. These companies are paying you to wait too. Coterra's got a seven and a half field, Enbridge six, Semper three, but great growth. I know. I mean, I know, I know. It's a disgusting, horrible market that rests entirely on the fortunes of one piece of paper, the 10-year treasury. But a curious person asks if this one piece of paper can really control the future of every company in the world. And where is it written that the 10-year must go down in price and up in yield every single day? Where does it say that the v- every unemployment number, like the one we're going to get tomorrow, will remain overheated. Where does it say that May must be hotter than April when we know that the Fed will keep hitting the brakes of the economy and people will be scared to start a business or have excess inventory? How can we be so sure that j won't raise interest rates as aggressively as he needs to? Right now, I think the market's anticipating the worst-case scenario, and there's a good chance that we actually don't get it. Or one more. Let's say you own nothing, no stock at all. You're just tuning in for the first time. You're all in cash. Wouldn't you be tempted to buy something down here? Is it your lack of cash that makes you feel desperate? Are you in that much of the wrong stocks? If you've got enough cash on the sidelines, the market's throwing a sale on everything, including some great stocks with good yields that have great prospects that are going to beat the earnings. The kinds of stocks my trust bought today during our club call. Bottom line, it is so easy to panic. It always feels great when you sell everything at that one moment. It's hard to be curious when your head's getting beat. Getting beat over the head by a two-by-four here. But over the long haul, curiosity tends to be a much better bet. Right now, I think a curious mind will be buying stocks selectively and, and not selling them indiscriminately. Curiosity might have killed the cat, but it can also make you a fortune. Let's go to David in Florida, please, David. David, um, so, um, uh, I was looking at their uh, reports from about a week ago. It looks very enticing. And I want to ask you on your opinion on General Motors. All right. Now, this is at the crux of what I'm talking about. GM has no dividend. OK, it sells at five times earnings and people think it's going to lose a lot of money. It's not going to lose a lot of money. It's down 32 percent for the year. It won't always not pay a dividend. I think that GM at 39 represents value, but it could go to 35. If you can't handle that to 35, then wait till it goes there or don't buy it at all. All right, panic is not a strategy. I think being curious, being curious about these is a much better way to riches. 
A curious mind would be buying stocks selectively, not selling them indiscriminately. On Man Money tonight, the energy space held up amid today's big sell-off. Is it time to look at the oil patch where the real value might be? I'm eyeing one of the few companies that ended today in the green. Yes, Dovish my exclusive with Pioneer Natural Resources, the highest yielding stock in the Dow. Then the market has mowed down Scott's Miracle Grow. I'm I'm using it this weekend. This is the weekend where I'm going to plant my boxes. But there are analysts who like it and analysts who hate it. We got to figure out which one is right so we can make some real green. And Shopify is on sale today. Stock dropping 15 percent. What is it signaling for the rest of e-commerce? Is the company doing fine and it's just the stock market that's angry? I'm talking with the company's top brass after its report. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. I always say it. There's always a bull market summer. And when everybody's freaking out about how the Fed needs to aggressively rate curb uh, inflation by raising interest rates, Well, there's a bull market, and it's in oil, and it's obvious. That's what worked during our last long period of high inflation in the late 70s when I got my start buying stocks, and it's why I keep recommending the best names in the industry. Look at Kramer longtime fave Pioneer Natural Resources, one of the rare stocks that managed to go up today. I've been pushing this independent oil producer because it's well-run. It's embraced a 
base uh, plus variable dividend policy. It is incredibly generous to shareholders, and it's got unbelievable properties. This is an amazing environment for Pioneer. Last night, they reported a magnificent quarter, announced they're paying a $7.38 per share <laughs> next dividend. That's the base payout plus the variable component. If Pioneer can keep up that old all year. That translates to you'll be getting a 13% dividend yield. Uh, almost unbelievable when you consider how much the stock has already run. But as long as oil stays in the triple digits, I think this one keeps working. Don't take it from me. Let's check in with longtime dean of the group, Scott Sheffield, CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. Get better sense of the quarter and where we're headed. Mr. Sheffield, welcome back to Mad Money. Jim, great to see you again. Always great to be on your show. Oh, I love having you on the show. Now, Scott, I was talking to a very astute investor, younger investor today, and I said to her, you can get a 13% dividend yield on a stock with high quality, good balance sheet. And she said, you're making it up. You're just making it up. It's not possible. Could you please explain why not only is it possible, but you're doing it? Yes, Jim. We had a, a great quarter. $2 billion net income, over 30% return on capital employed. And it's all about changing our strategy, uh, about returning capital to the shareholders, keeping production flat to growing 5% over the next several years, and distribute most of our free cash flow back to the investor. So $2 billion of free cash flow back to the investor. Most of it was the cash dividend of about 13%. So again, it's great. It's great to be here. Uh, it's a great quarter for Pioneer, and we're excited about our, our plan. We announced this plan two years ago. About half the peers are, are following us now with that high dividend policy. But your, your high dividend policy is much higher than everybody else's. How are you able to be top of peer group? We are giving up um, a higher percent back to the investor. We're giving up 80% of our free cash flow back to the investor. So that's the reason we're at 13%. Our peer groups are giving 50%. So their dividends at 8%. So it's really our asset base. It's our low, low cost structure. We're focused only in the Midland Basin. We have over a 20 year inventory and a great balance sheet. So when you bring it all together, it's e- easy to give out a 13% dividend. All right, when I met you many, many years ago, that was not the style of Pioneer or any other company. What occurred to make you realize that you can, might as well just be the best yielder in the S&P and go up on days like today? I know it's excited to be the number one S&P 500 dividend paying company today. But as I've told you in the past, when I came back about three years ago, we received feedback from a lot of our shareholders that the plan had to change. We went from a production growth company to a company that kept production in that zero to 5% range, sustainable growth, and we developed a free cash flow policy. We had to return cash flow back to the investor. And they were, that most of them really liked the dividend versus buybacks. We're still buying back stock. We bought back about a half a billion the last two quarters, but most of the payback is in dividends. All right, so Rusty Brazil, who was mentioned on your call, been on the show many times, has identified you over and over again as one of the great operators uh, and has told me, look, just because they give you a big return doesn't mean they're also uh, not working on ESG. Your CO2 intensity is remarkably low. 
Yes, if you look at our charts, uh, the Permian Basin is one of the lowest in the world. We have some of the, the best targets. Uh, 75% reduction by 2030 in methane. Uh, 50% reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. We're eventually going to be moving everything to the grid. Drilling, fracking, compression. Uh, that's really our goal. And we got several exciting projects. We're looking at installing wind and solar farms on a lot of our land out in West Texas. Do you care at all that, uh, what the price of oil is right now in terms of your payout? Uh, not really, because we have an interesting chart down to $60. We're paying out $17. Right. Uh, at $120, we're paying out a much higher number. So we're always going to be paying a dividend. Our break-even price is $30, Jim. That's unbelievable. Now, you bought a lot of properties, and some people said you might have overpaid. Clearly, not only did you not overpay, but you must have known that these properties were long live because uh, it's astonishing to me not only how you're all in cost, but how many years you're going to be able to pull this off. I know, but also, how do you overpay when you bought them a year and a half ago when all prices were a lot cheaper? So uh, there were great acquisitions, very contiguous. We now have a million acres in the Midland Basin. Jeez. We dominate the Midland Basin. Unbelievable. Uh, us and Chevron are the largest producers in the Permian now. We're drilling um, over 115,000-foot laterals now going into 2023, and we have over 1,000 locations. Those two acquisitions helped us do that. Do we have to care about, like, NOPAC or any of this other stuff when we think about Pioneer? Yeah, I know. Uh, it's interesting what um, Congress is doing. I've been advocating for the Biden administration to get over to Saudi, improve our relationships. They have the only excess capacity in the world today. Maybe a little bit in UAE, but Saudi has a, probably a million and a half barrels a day. Uh, we should not be doing anything to upset OPEC, if anything, the Biden administration should be over in Riyadh. Well, well, what can I tell you? Uh, when people tell me, Jim, I want to give up, I say, have you thought about Pioneer? Talked about it today. Uh, you are, Scott, you, I mean, you, you have taught me a great deal. And now you're the best teacher in the entire industry and the biggest moneymaker. Scott Sheffield, CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. Thank you so much, Scott, for everything. Thank you, Jim. Well, okay, PXD, uh, you know, what can I say? 13% yield, unbelievable properties. It, it's true. I know it sounds too good to be true, but it isn't. It's real. May have money's back into the break. Kramer's digging into Scott's Miracle Grow to see if planting seeds in the stock could help your portfolio see some green. Next. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. On a hideous day for the averages, where we rolled back yesterday's gains and then some, I want to put all the Federal Reserve-related hand-wringing to the side for a moment and remind you that we're stuck still in the middle of earnings season. Hey, by the way, for more on today's meltdown, be sure to tune in tonight's CNBC special report, Markets in Turmoil at 8 p.m. by my friend Brian Sullivan. He will leave no stone unturned in trying to make sense of today's action. But let's get back to it. Believe it or not, earnings do matter even in this crazy market. And you need to be able to evaluate them if you're going to stand a chance of picking stocks that can work in this environment. Make no mistake, there are absolutely stocks that work when inflation's on fire and the Fed's slamming on the brakes in the economy. These are names you can buy confidently when the whole market collapses on days like today. But first, you need to know how to pick them because there aren't that many of them. That all starts with earnings, with spotting the difference between a struggling business and a thriving one. Which brings me to a name you, we all know, Scott's miracle Grow, the leading maker of lawn and garden care products in North America. If you're a gardener, you use them. I do. Historically, this is a great time of year for anything garden-related because it's planting season. And Scott's is a name we used to get a ton of questions about. For years, it was a good, solid business with a stock that steadily chugged its way higher. Then from 2019 through, August, through April of last year, Wall Street started treating it as a cannabis play. Stocks surged from 60 to north of 250, reefer madness, if you will. But over the past 13 months, these shares have been obliterated, along with the rest of the cannabis cohort, tumbling to just under $100 at its lows last week, as investors braced themselves for a potentially ugly quarter. When Scott Spiracle reported on Tuesday morning, we had a mixed set of numbers. While the company delivered a top and bottom line beat, management also pulled their four-year earnings forecast. That's a forecast they'd already cut just two months ago. The stock didn't do much in response because, like so many others, it was already so beaten down. But then overnight, the analysts published their takes, and this is what caught my attention as a teaching moment. See, J.P. Morgan upgraded Scott's Miracle Grow from neutral to overweight, even as they cut the price target from 150-130. But at the exact same time, Stiefel downgraded the stock from buy to hold, cutting their price target from 130 to 116 in the process. Two very different reactions to the exact same quarter. We love these analysts' face-off situations because they help us distill the best arguments of both the bulls and the bears, which can help you come to your own conclusions about a company that we all use if we garden. The market seemed to be on the side, uh, seemed to be siding with the bulls at J.P. Morgan yesterday. Scott's Miracle Grow jumped 10%. Then the stock gave back a big chunk of that and closed down 6% to 109. So what are both sides saying here? Who's right? First, let me set the stage. Scott's Miracle Grow used to be a fairly straightforward story. They sold fertilizer and seeds, which is all anybody cared about. But then as states started legalizing marijuana, Scott's began to break out separate results for what was known as its Hawthorne division, which is all about hydroponic equipment that's synonymous with commercial cannabis cultivation. They made a large acquisition to bolster the hydroponic business, and that helped fuel the stock's miraculous run. Then the pandemic hit. Scott's became a driven COVID play because we couldn't go anywhere and we had a lot more uh, time for hobbies like gardening. Of course, over the last year, Scott's Miracle Grow has plunged back to earth with the rest of the pot stocks. Live by the bong, die by the bong, I say. Then as we got closer to the end of last year, the whole world was reopening and realized this company would be up against some very difficult comparisons. In short, it seems it's both a pot, it's, it's a pot stock and a COVID stock. Pox on stock. Unlike so many others, though, Scott's Miracle Grow is not just a victim of the Wall Street fashion show. Sure, the stock went out of style, but it turned out to deserve to go out of style because lately the business has gotten bad. 
Skyrocketing raw costs started catching up with them. At the same time, serious holes emerged in that Hawthorne hydroponics story. Through a series of rolling announcements, Scott has gradually disclosed that the cannabis market has become a huge problem for them. Early January, we learned Hawthorne sales were down roughly 40% in the fourth quarter, but management said they still expected flat to 10% growth this year. A month later, we learned that Hawthorne would see declining sales again in the first quarter of 2022. By early March, management axed the previous forecast, admitting Hawthorne sales would be down 15 to 25% this year. At that point, Scott's had to cut their full-year earnings forecast for the whole company. Early January, management was talking about 850 to $890 a share. By early March, they cut it to at least 8 bucks. That was the setup going into the quarter. This time, the headline numbers were better than feared, although Hawthorne was horrific, down 44%. More importantly, Scott's gave us a mixed outlook for U.S. consumer business, once again slashed their full-year earnings forecast. Managers said the $8 number that they rolled out in March is quite, quote, likely unattainable. I mean, this stuff is ridiculous. That's just terrible. But to the analysts who cover Scott's miracle for J.P. Morgan, it was a reason to upgrade. Rationale? Valuation. Stocks come down huge from its highs. These levels, you think it's too cheap versus previous earnings levels. However, when you drill down, this note really doesn't even sound like an upgrade. Listen to this. There is nothing particularly working in Scott's favor at this juncture. Well, that's a selling point. How about the downgrade? All right. Stiefel still likes the core business of Scott's Miracle Grow. They're believers in the longer-term story, which is why they had a buy rating on the stock until the other day. But near-term, the business has just gotten too ugly for them to stay positive. Hawthorne, yes, cannabis in particular, is in free fall. Too much inventory. Cannabis is awful. Before the quarter, some bulls thought Scott's Miracle Grow could unlock value by breaking itself up, either selling the Hawthorne cannabis business, spinning it off. But now Stiefel says that's no longer a viable option. Makes sense. Who the heck would want to buy it? On top of that, Scott's has an ugly enough balance sheet that they don't see management embracing an aggressive buyback either. In short, business is bad. There's not much Scott's can do to make it better. My view. I side with the bears at Stiefel. Even the bulls at J.P. Morgan don't sound all that bullish when you read their arguments in detail. Bottom line, while Scott's miracle grow might seem cheap on a price earnings basis, the problem is that the earnings forecasts keep coming down like so many other stocks. And management doesn't have a handle on how bad it's going to get just like so many other stocks. So I suggest no bottom fishing. Stay with me. All right. Every day we get more evidence that very few COVID winners are capable of being as strong as they were during the COVID period. Today, the already beaten down e-commerce edifice crumbled further. eBay, Etsy, Wayfair, and now Shopify, the stock was down double digits, despite having already come down massively from their highs before today. It is difficult to watch for you, I understand, especially for the better companies, the ones we really like, companies like Shopify, which help small, medium-sized businesses, but also some large ones, set up their own e-commerce platforms. And it works, it's easy, and it's what people use to be able to grow their business. But now the company's stock's price has been well, obliterated, let's call it that. And we look at the quarter Shopify report this morning, you can understand. Company missed on the key lines, including a 42-cent earnings miss off a 62-cent basis. I don't know who was looking for 62. Their growth slowed dramatically, even as they're spending heavily to grow the business. Long-term, that would be a good plan. But it's, you know, look, we got a risk-averse market right now. And uh, it does it wants profitability at all costs. I'll say this, though. Management is courageous enough to come on the show in good times and bad. Let's take a closer look with Harley Finkelstein, the president of... Shopify. To learn more about the quarter and where the company's headed, Harley, you know, I, there's another time when this quarter would have been just fine. Uh, but you had some difficult compares because of, uh, obviously because of COVID. But when I look at the trend line, if you take out COVID, 
It's going higher. This is a hard one to figure, Harley. Help me. Hey, Jim, great to be on the show. It's always such an honor to be here with you. So look, let me start at the top. I think in a very difficult quarter for the markets generally, first of all, we showed a profit of $30 million and we grew our two-year compound annual growth rate by about 60% across two very important metrics. Revenue, first of all, had a two-year compound annual growth rate of 60%. GMV had a two-year compound annual growth rate of 57%. And I think, and I know you and I talk a lot about this next, this next piece, our value proposition, especially in an inflationary environment, is, is really unparalleled. Our merchant solutions revenue as a percentage of GMV was the highest it's ever been at 1.99%. That means that our merchants' usage of our products, solutions like capital and payments, for example, are the highest. And that means we're solving more of their problems. We're helping adding more value. So you said that you said it great. You know, I think we were a pandemic story, but we have very much transitioned to a reopening story as retail and commerce rebalances. And the proof of that is that our total point of sale GMV grew at nearly 80% this past quarter. And our physical retail offering continues to gain a real market share globally. And so the trust that we built with merchants during the pandemic we are now using that to help them take other solutions. And those that came online now want to use this for offline no, as well. There, look, there's no, I, there, there's no that you're the best at it, but you just bought Deliver. We want to talk about that. Um, our, by, if we look closely, we think that the cash flow here is not as good as it used to be, Harley. And I'm somewhat concerned for the first time about the balance sheet given the acquisition. Please allay any fears I have about negative cash flow and need for money. Well, first of all, let's talk about this, because I think we've proven that we can operate in any environment with very, very strong operational discipline. And I think that's something you've always called out about our company. We've always balanced growth and profitability, Jim. And that operating discipline is something that should be clear. There is real leverage in our business. So we've been well run in any environment. And remember, we've been thoughtful about how we've funded our growth and how we allocate capital to date. If you look at the history of the company, we have raised about $7.7 billion of funding. As of March 31st this year, we had $7.2 billion remaining in in the coffers. And we've paid for our organic investments in M&A with growth profits generated via operations. So, you know, we didn't we were not born in sort of this venture with venture capital money. I think it's that operating discipline now that matters more than ever before. All right. Then tell us what the liver does that you couldn't have done yourself or that you need. Well, look, I, uh, I happen to actually check out your new Mescal company before coming on the show and, and grateful and excited to see that, that it's being powered by Shopify. So you'll appreciate this. I wasn't going to bring it supp- up. I was not going to oh, bring that's okay. it up. I, I, I do my research, as you know. But supply chain management and fulfillment are truly some of the biggest challenges that merchants face running their businesses. Right now, what happens, you know this as a small business owner, you sort of have to fumble through this maze of freight providers and 3PLs and middle and last mile carriers. So we announced Shopify Fulfillment Network a couple of years ago. And the goal there really is to handle the post-order phase of the merchant supply chain. Once the order gets placed, the fulfillment network sends the package from the warehouse directly to the end consumer. And we've, we've, we've done a lot there. I mean, we've added new inventory balancing capabilities, delivery promise, simple returns. We've even created our own proprietary warehouse management system that goes across all of our warehouses to make it really efficient. Yep. Now we're adding Deliver. Okay. Now Deliver has, it fulfills already over a million orders. But what we love about them is it's an asset light tech-driven service, and it's already trusted by thousands of merchants all over the U.S. And so, yes, it is our largest acquisition ever, but what it does, it strengthens the fulfillment network and it accelerates rapidly our path to an end-to-end logistics network. So what that means, 
Merchants and their customers will get highly reliable, fast, affordable delivery. And the best right. part is that those merchants will own the relationship with the end consumer, unlike some other providers where they obfuscate who the end consumer no, is. No, that is very clear. That's what you need. I absolutely know that is a business. Now, uh, one last thing. There's a chart. You have a fabulous deck. You're very candid about things. There's a chart. E-commerce growth normalized the percentage of retail sales. And it shows you a trend line up and then down. But it goes back to where it was in 2019. Aren't you actually ahead of where you were before the pandemic started? Look, the U.S. Department of Commerce came out with their monthly trade report a couple days ago. You talked about it. U.S. online and offline commerce each grew by about 11% year on year. Shopify outpaced both those numbers, both online and especially in offline. And like I said, we were because we built so much trust with these merchants during COVID, helping all these offline retailers come online quickly. Now that they're rebalancing and 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 and, op- and stores are reopening again, they're coming to us and saying, "Please replace our existing point of sale system with your system as well." So more merchants come to the platform, taking more of our products. And again, we're operating with great operational discipline right now. Do you think there's just a lot of companies that? that would have started that wouldn't, that aren't now because they're worried about a recession? I think actually one of the things we noticed about our, our merchants uh, is that they're incredibly resilient. You know, during the pandemic, a lot of people started new business or expanded, ex- extended their businesses. You know, the thing that people don't realize about Shopify, we are millions of stores on our platform, millions of merchants. But if you were, were to pretend that we were one single merchant for a second, we'd be the second largest online retailer in America. The reason that's important is because we're now able to get incredible economies of scale on payments and capital and shipping and and software leverage that we can give to small businesses. And that's what we mean when we say we are really leveling the playing field and making it easier for them to succeed. So what you basically have to do if you're a growth investor, you have to kind of ride it out. But, you know, there are a lot of people who are just saying, look, uh, whether it's this company, whether it's HubSpot, whether it's Shopify, I mean, Etsy, it doesn't matter right now. I mean, people are trying to figure out how to value, Harley. I, I myself don't know how to value other than to, think that, other than to know that you're indispensable. I'm trying to yeah. put a value on indispensable. Look, we're the brand behind everyone's, every consumer's favorite brand. That, that's, that's the case in the U.S. It's the case globally. And we are we're trying to build a 100-year company. We believe that actually being able to adjust profitability versus growth at the right time is very important. I mentioned that operational discipline that we certainly have. But we think, and we're seeing more people uh, starting businesses on Shopify. But again, the relationship we have to these millions of merchants, we're not just their e-commerce provider. We help them with offline sales. We saw a 400% increase in merchants selling a across social media platforms, places like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, and even Google, all powered by Shopify. So we think the future of retail is everywhere. We think Shopify is indispensable in the future of retail. And I think we're the trusted company for entrepreneurs around the world. What do you do if you're me when people say, Jim, the party's over? I mean, move on from Shopify. I, I look, I, we, we take a very long term approach to our business. We're about to celebrate our seventh year anniversary and, uh, for the IPO. I, I was fortunate to come on your show. And that's when we first met post IPO in 2015. But we're a company that really believes in building for the long term. And we understand that right now it's a tough market. But again, we have levers to adjust and, 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 and ensure that we are responsible in how we spend. And again, $7.7 billion raised and $7.2 billion on the balance sheet at the end of the quarter. That, that, that speaks volumes, I think. When you speak to institutional investors, uh, do, do any of them say, listen, I'm sorry, Harley, I've got to wait till another time? Or the people say, you know what, I know you'll come back because the business is so sound. Look, the, the investors that understand our product, understand our business model, understand management, they're long-term holders, and many of them have been with us since day one, since we since we went public. And, you know, so the, mark, the macro 
environment is difficult. Right. But a company that can be a, a COVID success story that can then transition to a recovery story, those are the companies to bet on. And I think Shopify is unequivocally one of those companies. Well, you have always been a great spokesperson for the company that is integral. It's just that you're not on the bottle. But it doesn't matter. You get the job done. I, I, look, I, you know, I've been a believer from when you guys were in the low, well, in the double digits. And I know it's tough to own, but the business itself is terrific. That's Harley Finkelstein, oh, president you, of Shopify, SHOP. Harley, as always, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. Dad Money's back after the break. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready to keep that? The round comes in the start with Michael and Oregon. Michael! Afternoon, Tim. Uh, how are you, buddy? Uh, I'm doing fine, thank you. So I originally bought this uh, stock for its dividends, and it, it no longer has that dividend. Uh, over the last month, it has come back close to my uh, buy-in price of $15 a change. Okay. And yesterday it had its earnings and the stock took a, a hit. Okay. Uh, Jim, uh, the, the ticker is CXW. Buy, sell, or hold. Look, I, I got to tell you, um, the stock's down 20%. That usually means there's far more wrong than current. So let's just stay away. Let's go to Andy, Wisconsin. Andy. Hey, greetings from uh, Land of Beer, Jim. There you go. Land of Beer. I love beer. It's a second mile. What's going on? Hey, what's your read on Inmo? I Jeez, I don't know. Everyone's decided. I mean, if you went MedTech, you just went Edwards Life Science, okay? EW, and it's down a lot. It's perfect. Yoko in Georgia. Yoko. Jimmy Chill. It's Yoko from Milton. And I've got to tell you what a depressing day it was today, but I've got a dilemma. I held your baby, Chevron, and made a nice profit. But six months ago... I decided to go into the natural gas at $3.25 then, and now it's $9. So I bought Western Midstream Partners, WES. What a good situation. You've got horse sense. I like that. I like every one of the pipes. Remember, I mentioned Enbridge, but this one's got a great yield, really good story. Sean in California. Sean. Hey, how's it going, Jim? Not bad. How about you? I'm, I'm doing uh, as, as good as I can be, considering uh, I'm looking at the market the way it is. Yeah, we just got to get through these days. That's what we do for a living. What's going on? Uh, I'm calling about a stock that I found out because of you and a guy named Boppo and another guy named Backtrack on Twitter. You said the chairman of this company is quite possibly the most brilliant man you've ever had on your show, and have previously called the stock a buy, buy, buy. I'd like to know what you think of sports betting and high gaming company Supergroup ticker SGHD. Eric Grubman, I know about Eric for, I don't know how many years. He, he is brilliant. And the company's actually one of the few SPACs that is actually up. And I think that's because the last quarter was great. You should go read the deck. They are doing well. And I don't say that idly. The stock was up today. What does that say? Eric Grubman's the real deal. Sebastian in Iowa. Sebastian. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Enterprise Products Partner is up by 21%. Because they are the best at what they do. And it will continue to be a buy. And it's a 7% yield. And I like it. How about David in Tennessee, please? David. Hey, how you doing, Jim? I am doing well, man. I'm volunteering. What's happening? Hey, man, it's a blessing just to get to talk to you, brother. I appreciate everything you do. You're very kind. Thank you. 
Um, anyways, I was just curious about um, U.S. Steel, you know. Well, um, stop I, being I curious. If be- you own a steel company, which I don't necessarily recommend right now, you're going to own Nucor, which is now down 47 straight points. And I think it'll be down a little bit more, and then we buy it, okay? I sold it for the challenge, just made a ton of money. Looking at it again, but it's got to go lower. I want to talk to Edward in Maryland. Edward. Yes, Jim. Edward. This, this is Dr. Edward Cole, married to my wonderful wife, Mary, of 49 years. Wow. Retired pharmacist living in Laurel, Maryland. We watch Mad Money. We read your books. Thank you. We value your opinion on the world leader in generic medication out of Israel, Tiva Pharmaceutical. Well, I, look, I, I know them well. Uh, I can't say that they deserve that accolade, frankly. I would prefer to see you in something like a J&J, which is splitting up and is going to bring out more value than a Teva can do. Let's go to Clinton in Florida. Clinton! Hello, Jim. This is Clinton from Vero Beach, Florida, where the tropics begin. Oh, where my friend Bowers lives. Say hi. What's up? Well, you know, Jim, my young son made a lot of money on GameStop and AMC back in the day. And he tells me now, I call that luck he calls it skill he tells me to look into a company now called asp space mobile wow well he's got the edge on me i do not know that company but we will do homework on it sounds like my kind of speculative company for young people and that legend the conclusion of the lightning round the lightning round is sponsored by td ameritrade With the real pandemic place, please stand up. Please stand up. Every day we find out another company that did a lot more business during the height of the pandemic simply doesn't have the staying power now that the world's more or less going back to normal. Today I listened to the quarterly conference call from Etsy, which is based not far from me in Brooklyn, and I learned that Etsy did not, in fact, create a whole new organic market for handicrafts, an acorn that turned into a mighty oak. Instead, it was more like one of those trees that gets pruned by Asplund, the guys in the orange trucks, because it got too close to the power lines. Those who thought this thing could keep working got their heads blown off. Of course, the stock market is a prediction machine. And when you look at Etsy stock, it's clear tons of people figured this out ahead of time. I mean, the darn thing peaked at 307 late last year, and it had already sunk to 109 yesterday before plunging another 18 change today. But here's the real issue. Despite that hideous decline, Etsy still sells for 36 times earnings, and its earnings are expected to be down this year. If you're trying to figure out how much you should pay for the stock in this environment, that's not enticing to the big institutional money managers. They, they, they look at something like Etsy and they say, it's impossible to figure out. Or I don't buy stocks with slowing earnings or down earnings unless they have good dividends. Etsy is neither. It's in no man's land. And in a, in a horrible mean market like this one, you're going to get shot to pieces in no man's land. Then there's eBay. Similar story. Today, we learned that the most actively bought and sold items on their platform are trading cards. Trading cards? That's quintessential lockdown stuff. Got nothing to do. Might as well try to make some money on trading cards. As we get further away from the worst stage of the pandemic, well, that's something we'll see less of, too. We already know that Zoom video and DocuSign and Peloton were pandemic plays. That can't translate into a post-pandemic world. They haven't been able to do it. What we didn't realize is that none of them took their COVID money and used it to become something bigger. 
Of course, the most alarming are the streaming plays. The fact that Netflix hit a wall shows you that bored people stuck at home gravitated to anything online, and that's no longer the case now that they can go out. I think Netflix is a casualty of what, book, of, of what Booking Holdings, the company previously known as Priceline, told us last night. They're seeing acceleration of travel. April was great. The more time you spend traveling, the less you need Netflix to relieve your boredom. Same goes for Amazon. Shopping online is much less compelling pastime when you can do literally anything else. Oh, and if you don't need to stream much, then you sure don't need Roku or HBO Max, for that matter. Pretty negative for Warner Brothers Discovery. In fact, it's hard to find any habit from the pandemic that we're continuing with, in part, I think, because we hated the darn pandemic, and we don't want to be reminded of life under lockdown. Anything associated with that first spring of COVID seems like we're visiting the Donner Pass in winter. Hard pass. All right, so Clorox might be a rare permanent beneficiary. While the disinfecting wipes went through the roof at the height of COVID and then came back to earth as people got vaccinated, the wipes business didn't fall back to where it was before the pandemic because a lot of us are now germaphobes. That's the kind of behavior that sticks with you for life. Everybody I know is a germaphobe. I think that Shopify, whom you heard from today, is a survivor and will be a thriver, as is Revolve from yesterday, which has Resolve to be to be profitable. But I myself have no idea what metrics to use to find prices for these when there's a pioneer out there or a Devon or a plain old industrial with a four to five percent dividend because its stock has fallen so much. Yeah, you get a bigger yield because the stock's cratered. But other than the vanishingly rare exception, the lesson of the COVID stocks is we got sick of their stuff. These days, it seems like people associate them with the darkest days of the pandemic, when you were afraid to go out, afraid of your own shadow, which is suboptimal from a branding perspective. They weren't COVID stocks so much as they were nothing better to do stocks. No wonder they're getting killed now that we got places to go and things to do. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you to find it just for you right here on Mid Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.